For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to the 1865 Match Report. Today we're looking back at uh, last night's 2-1 victory for Nottingham Forest where goals from Taiwo and Chris Wood sandwiched a Gustavo Hamer goal for Sheffield United to earn Forest a victory against a newly promoted side. It was a full house at the City Ground, so it was, was it going to be Forest Delight under the Friday Night Lights where our football reached new heights or was it going to be a massive bag of shh? I'll let you fill in the missing gaps there. Um, having promoted a couple of kids from the youth team last week uh, to do the match report, we're going to go with a, a mixture of uh, youth and experience today as we welcome back Adam. Hi, Adam. Hi, mate. You're right. Hi, uh, yes, I'm fine. Thanks. And our gritty old bet, Baz. Baz, morning. Hey, up. Good, good, good. So it was the first match back at the city ground after the summer break. And was the atmosphere as good as we always expect it to be, Baz? Um, it started off well. So we started with a minute's applause for Trevor Francis and for Chris Bart-Williams, which must have gone down very, very well with the Sheffield United fans. Um, and uh, Mullen Kataya was as good as ever, but um, things kind of change as the match progresses, as I'm sure we're going to get to. We'll get to that. And um, we had a couple of... Um... Maybe surprise changes in the lineup, Adam. Yeah, I must admit we were in the pub and we saw that come in and we went, oh. Um, but I don't know. It's it's a weird one for me because looking at the defensive side of things, at least seeing the back three of Warrell, McKenna, and Bolly was strange because we had Nia Carter on the bench. He then came on later in the game, which shows to me he's at least got some degree of fitness. So, not starting was a strange one for me. And then obviously, Yatesy being left out was maybe a strange one too. Yeah. Uh, so, who, who came in for Yates? Um. So, Taiwo came. So, the front three was Taiwo, Jono, and Gibbs White. So, Taiwo started after not starting and then replaced Yates, basically. That's um, it, yeah. Was the other change at uh, left wing back? I yes. So apparently, Ina's got a minor knock, so uh, did something in training, which is pretty typical for us for a new signing. And so Nico played at left back, left wing back. Yeah. So um, yeah, the, I've got to say the Yates, the Yates permission raised a few eyebrows in our household, as I think I pretty. I pretty much come to the conclusion that we can't win a game without Ryan Yates in the team. So to leave him out was was a brave move, but it, it, it allowed us to have a more attacking slant on the um, on the on the team with uh, Johnson up front with Taiwo and Morgan Gibbs White in a sort of front three. Really, had quite a lot of freedom, and it started off well for uh, for us, didn't it, Baz? Uh, yeah, so um, we started off pretty much on the front foot and then after, what, two minutes, three minutes, um, Jono sort of breaks clear on the right-hand side 
does the little pullback to Surge, and then Surge places this cross that um, Taiwo just skips between the defenders and heads it home. Um, and we think game on. Game on, yeah. It was, a, it was another great goal by Taiwo, wasn't it, Adam? And that's, what's that, eight in six or something, if you count last season, which is um, pretty good form, really. Yeah, but he's looking amazing, isn't he, Adam? Oh, he's, he looks fantastic. And I think the thing is with that goal as well is that he got in between the two defenders. He heads it home comfortably. Uh, it was a great ball by Serge. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the second goal as well later. And, you know, but the, the both crosses by Serge were great. They're to be attacked. And Awani at the moment is proving to be a, you know, a bit of a talisman, a bit of a goal scorer. I, I'm praying that we don't have two, three months injury from him like we did last season. But unfortunately, we do have the AFCON to contend with, which affects quite a lot of our players. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, I don't know how we're going to cope with that, but we'll worry about that in January. I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll just enjoy the, the next few months. Uh, I think <laughs> The other thing I'd like to just say about the, the yeah. goal as well, and this is also with the Arsenal goal, um, is it's the way he skips between the defenders. He's, he's got... Because he comes across as quite clumsy, but actually that little movement that he did to get between the defenders, and that's what makes the goal, both that and the Arsenal game. And that's something to be, to be savoured. Yeah, yeah. And I think I'm right in saying that by scoring that goal, he actually equaled uh, a certain Stan Collymore's record for scoring in consecutive Premier League matches for Boris. So um, rewriting history in a, in a small way to, there, Taiwo. Um it continued quite well, didn't it, Adam, for the next uh, 20, 25 minutes or so, Forrest? Yeah, we looked on top. Every time we went forward, I thought we'd score. Um, we definitely played that transitional football really well. Every time we got the ball, there was, you look obviously out right and out left, Johnson and Gibbs White make, getting into pockets of space, looking for the ball off Danilo and Mangala when they got on the ball. The problem that we got was probably that we were trying, especially Danilo, was trying too many Hollywood passes from that midfield spot to go out to Gibbs Wilde, to go out to Johnson that weren't getting to their mark. The more we gave the ball away, the more Sheffield United then got back into the game. They got their foot on the ball and they started pinging it around and they started having a bit of possession. And then we sort of sat back a bit and went towards the end of the half and went, OK, let's just let's short up shop let's, for the first half anyway. Let's let them have it for a little bit. And that's when the problem sort of crept in. After the goal went in, we had about 10, 15 minutes. And then after that, we kind of almost retreated a little bit, which was a little bit frustrating to see just before half-time. Yeah, it was almost a bit too easy for us, wasn't it, Baz? I mean, it was like we had had our foot on their throats and uh, then we took it off, didn't we? I think what my thought during the first half was um, we're so used to playing on the counter that we don't really know what to do, how to break through someone when, we, when we've got the ball. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I was impressed with some of that passing in the first half. That's probably the best bit of passing I've seen us play for a, for a very long time. We sort of managed to ping it around a bit. It's the back three, especially, was sort of getting involved with Danilo and uh, and Mangala. Um, Mangala had a, had a really good good first sort of half an hour or so, didn't he? Didn't he, Baz? I think that's kind of what let them back into the game was Mangala started really, really well and was controlling the midfield. But he sort of tired or or something, and that's why they started getting control of the midfield and then t- and taking on the game. Uh, the other thing I'd say, although it was probably more passing than we've seen for the entirety of last season, it's still not very good. 
it's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's not what you'd expect from Premier League level. No, let's no. let's put it that way. But it's, it was an improvement, so we can take a bit of uh, a bit of col- uh, com- crumbs of comfort from there. Adam, you want to say something? Yeah, I think that Mangala's performance was absolutely unbelievable. First half, like the way he'd get the ball and just turn, you know, turn on it and then play the pass. You know, they just couldn't contend with it at all. I think one thing that they struggled in the first half is that they weren't really necessarily playing the out-and-out wingers. Um, they were playing, Traore was tucking inside behind the strikers. They weren't really playing wingers. So our wing-backs, when they were bombing forward, there was no gap being exploited behind them. So like when Williams and Aurea were going up, and Aurea was basically a right winger last night um, for large parts of the game, but they were going forward and not getting punished. The, the gap that was left in behind wasn't being exploited and that did change in the second half from a tactical decision. Yeah. Um, any, I think the only other Boris attempt I can sort of really think of was a, a couple, well, was a couple of incidents. One was a, a possible penalty shout for Tywo Baz. It was around about where you sit. So what you probably yeah. the best. Uh, so, I mean, at the time I thought it was nailed on, but, um, and then we were all complaining, going, where's VAR? Where's VAR? Apparently I read, look, looking at like a match report, like a minute by minute thing at half time. Apparently VAR did check it. And the only thing I could think of at the time was because Taiwo had done a really long run, like gone done like 30 or 40 yards to get up the pitch. And you could see as he was entering the box, he looked like he was running out of steam a bit. So maybe the ref from where the ref was looking, it was like he was stumbling anyway. So the the fact that the two defenders sort of barged into him a bit, he was going to go over before even without the defenders. Yeah, um, I think I think initial, I think they also said the initial contact was outside the box anyway, so he probably mm. wouldn't have got a penalty. Um, and there's maybe one one other decent moment where Brennan Johnson had a shot, Adam, which went out for a corner. Yeah, um, we did we did create a few chances, and there was also the um, there was a big shout around us for a penalty, but I don't think it was on Nico Williams arriving late from left wing back and got his toe on it and then appeared to be one of those scenarios, you know, where they get the toe on it and then they fly to the floor because the defender has to make contact. It looked like one of them, which sometimes get given, but apparently I, I had a few people watching it at home who said it was absolutely not a penalty in the slightest. I, but, thought, I thought the defender got the ball and then Nico Williams just went over the defender. Yeah, which is probably what happened, to be fair. Um, obviously, I haven't seen the highlights for the game, but from where I was sat, there was a big shout, but I didn't really think it it was. But we did have a few chances. And, um, we got into good positions and wasted the ball a couple of times. I remember there was one scenario where Danilo was on the edge of the box, sees Brennan Johnson on his outside, but it was always going to be a difficult pass and decides to pass it when realistically you should be testing the goalkeeper that the space opened up and that was a, kind of a theme I don't know if you noticed that Baz from the first half that when whenever Morgan got the ball whenever Delino got the ball 25-30 yards out they were absolutely content with giving them that space yeah. they were more concerned with marking Taiwo and Brennan or, or the wing backs when they got forward that they weren't bothered about the the likes of Morgan and Danilo and Mangala having the ball from 25 yards yeah. out it's in many ways they were basically a mirror of us. Um, yeah, the way we play, which is yeah, let them have the ball thirty yards out and then just then cram the box. 
Um, I'd also say, um, so Morgan Gibbs-White, obviously having played for him and played against us for Sheffield United, he was getting loads of stick off the Sheffield United fans. And I think he made a number of wrong decisions, the wrong pass, choosing to shoot and stuff like that because he wanted to stick it to their fans and give them the ears that he gave the Wolves fans. And I think he he took it on a bit too much rather than, than just like concentrating on his game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think you're probably right there. Um, the only, well, we, as you said, so we dominated the first 25 minutes or so, but Sheffield United did come back into it. But the only thing, the only chance I can think of is uh, where they had a shot was when uh, Vinicius Souza had a sh- long range shot. Um uh, was, what do you think of the save there, Adam? Was it a good save or one one for the cameras? Um, I was right behind it because I sit in the lower trend. So um, initially, I thought it was a really smart save, but then I realized, when he caught it, I thought, ah, you see, he's probably probably is one for the cameras. But no, look, it was a, it was a smart start. Uh, it was good that he didn't palm it around for a corner. There wasn't a lot of juice behind the shot. Um, but considering, we, I think this is probably where we need a bit of perspective, though, because. I came in, I, I went in and got a beer at half time, and I was disappointed watching that first half. I thought that we we didn't sort of make our advantages pay. We only got, went in 1 0 at half time, and we could have had 2 or 3, and we should have had 2 or 3, and we didn't really give them an awful lot. But if I'm looking on the glass half full side of things, we played a Premier League team at home, and whatever our opinions are in Sheffield United, they are a Premier League team. We played them at home, we gave them next to nothing in 45 minutes and we could have had two or three. So I suppose there's two ways to look at it. But yeah, they were very limited to not a lot. I do remember a a scramble that went into Turner's hands where Sheffield United had a bit of a scramble in the first half from a corner um, and then it ended up safely in Turner's hands from a really, really good block by, I think it was Bolly or it might have been Worrell, um, sort of later in the first half. Um, but other than that, yeah, I don't remember a lot they had in I don't remember a team having so little at home against, like, well, when we've played at home against Forest for a long time. So I suppose that is positive. Yeah, I mean, that, that first half, I, I I was thinking this is probably the worst team we've played in the past year in, in terms of a Premier League team. They, I mean, which is probably expected considering the summer they had it. They did look like a championship team, but they managed to get into the game in that uh, end of that first half. Um, we're expecting Forest to get maybe a bit of a rollicking at half time from Steve Cooper. Um, because it, although it finished one 0 at half time, it, it was a bit of a downward trajectory. But uh, maybe after a half time talk, too, we were hoping they'd come out of the blocks, race, race, racing out of the blocks, and uh, take the game back to Sheffield United. But it, it didn't turn out that way, did it, Baz? I think um, Sheffield United got the, the the rocket from from Heckingbottom because as soon as the game kicked off, they were visibly faster and visibly more on it than than they were in the first half. The, the, like played at three times the speed with lots and lots of fast passing. And my immediate thought was actually this might play into our hands then because they're pushing forward. So that gives us the the space to play our counter-attacking game. But of course it didn't work out that way. Um, I think we have some defensive work to do because this is three goals now we've conceded, all of which came from like that second phase from defending a corner so we seem to be all right at that first phase at the when the when the corner's coming in, but as soon as it gets cleared and moved out a little bit, 
we lose our heads and and yeah um it was harmer wasn't it um he had acres of space to to pick his um to pick the the, the point where he wanted to put the ball yeah, it was yeah, it was a it was a great goal, wasn't it, Adam? Yeah, I think that's the thing. The the goal was fantastic, and Gustavo Hamer is a player that, when Coventry didn't go up, I, I was in my head. I thought, oh, I mean, it makes sense for us to go for him. And to be honest, I'm I'm quite surprised that he went to Sheffield United because I think he's better than that level. I think he's more, he's a higher up, he's more of a mid table Premier League player now. I think he's probably too good for them in a way. But his goal was fantastic. And I think he played well on the night, to be honest. He was, he was spreading passes around a lot. I think he played well on the night. Uh, we just didn't come out second half at all. And the goal was coming. You know, before they scored the goal, they were, they were having more shots. They were having more meaningful attacks. You know, we, we, we everyone said around me that it was just a goal is coming here. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the, the defensive side of things. I think the problem was is that we we don't get out. You'll notice it at all. We just don't get out. We clear the ball, and then we don't get out. I don't know yeah. why. Well, I think may, maybe um, I think playing playing with three centre halves is maybe contributing to that slightly because they're all three are sort of having to stay in that line along the edge of the eighteen yard box. Uh, specifically for that that period um, against Sheffield United, I I could see a massive Ryan Yates shaped, shaped hole. Um, in the midfield there. I think he probably would have been out to Gustavo Harmer a, a bit quicker and maybe try and block the shot because that's, that's what he tends to do um, in those sort of situations. It's probably just worth pointing out as well that Sheffield United made a half-time substitution uh, where they brought on a speedy winger, Larushi instead of uh, Max Lowe. And that added bit of pace really uh, caused us trouble. That, you mentioned in the first half, Adam, that, that um, Aurier played more or less as a right right winger. And uh, Larushi coming on on that left-hand side really sort of tr- looked to exploit that space behind us, didn't it? Yeah, so w- what seemed to happen was we were still playing the three-back with the wing-backs, but every single time Sheffield United got the ball, it was almost like their midfielders and their centre-halves didn't even have to look up. They just played it into the gap that was left by Aurea. And that did a controversial take. I don't think like, Aurea had a good game on the night. I think his two assists were fantastic, but they were two moments of brilliance. I think his general game, especially defensively, was really, really poor. And I don't think he can play wing back. He did he certainly didn't show me tonight that he could play wing back. In a back four, he's by far our first choice right back. You know, there's no doubt in my mind about that. But when it comes to playing as a wing back, I think if Ina was fit tonight, I think we might have seen Ina playing left wing back and Nico playing right wing back. Certainly suits Nico a lot more playing as a wing back than it does as a full back. So if we go back to the back four, I'd suspect that Serge probably is back in. Um, we did switch to the back four again uh, after Sheffield United scored and it did seem to neutralise a lot of what they were doing and we gained a bit of control again. But the the issue is I don't have a problem with the back three. I have a problem with the personnel, which is not completely in anyone's hands at the moment because we don't have Felipe and we don't, we don't have a fully fit near Carte. But for me, we, we mentioned it in the group chat, you can't play Warrell, Bolly and McKenna as back three. They've all got their shortcomings, which are completely diluted by Felipe and Niacate playing next to them. But on the night, I think McKenna showed to me and probably to a lot of Forest fans why 
he will be nowhere near the side if we have a fully fit defence. And also, you can see why we're trying to bring in another centre-back because I really don't think he's of the quality that we need to be at. I don't want to slate players or anything, but I really just... I watched last night McKenna and I thought I really can't understand how he stayed on the pitch. Yeah. Baz, you want to put Chip in there? Uh, I I really, really like Scott McKenna. There's something about the way that he plays that I... It's that, like, economy of movement or whatever. But as soon as he won the tackle, his head kind of went and he didn't know what to do with it. And and he, and he gave it away. And it's a real shame because, yeah, I, I, said, I think I said in the group chat, it's like, yeah, we could play one of those three, maybe at a push two of those three, but all three of them together, their their shortcomings add up, and it and it it means that we look worse than we actually are. I mean, they defensively in general they sort of did okay, but especially against a team like Sheffield United, where we want to be on the front foot, they they can't give what we need for the for the rest of the game. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I. I would always worry when both McKenna and Warrell are starting. I think you could probably get away with one of them in uh, a starting lineup, but um, it's, it's that whole situation where, where I don't think we can win without Ryan Yates in the team. I don't think we can win without Tyo in the team. I don't think we can win without one of Bolly, uh, Felipe, or Nia Carter in the team as well. So uh, if, if it was it was left if we were left to two down to two if the injury crisis hit again and we were left with McKenna in and Warrell just there, well I think we'd be in trouble. Um, but moving on slightly, um, you mentioned um, that Boris made change shape. They made a couple of subs um, on about the 70th minute mark. Uh, or was it? No, a bit. Yeah, about 69, 70th minute. Alanga came on for Bolly to switch us to a back four. Uh, he, Alanga played wide left. Am I right in saying that, Adam? Yeah. And then uh, uh, Yates came on for Mangala. And uh, maybe a bit surprised that Mangala went off rather than uh, Danilo Bass. Yeah, I thought Danilo, especially in the second half, looked quite lost. And um, we were saying before, and it's easy to forget because of the impact he had at the end of last season, that he's still a young lad, still finding his way. And I thought he looked a bit lost in the Arsenal game. I thought he looked a bit lost yesterday. So to see Mangala, who'd been quite commanding earlier on, come off and for Yates um, was a bit of, a bit of a surprise for us. Yeah. Um, but that, those changes did seem to uh, swing the game back in our favour a little bit. Uh, maybe helped a little bit by Sheffield United uh, may, having to make a couple of changes as well. They was looked a bit bit heavy legged, I suppose. Not maybe not as fit as as you'd expect a Premier League team to be. But that back four sort of neutralised their wide uh, flat back four neutralised their wide threat. And Ryan Yates, just Ryan Yates, he was he was in it minute one, no warming up, no. So playing yourself into the game is bang on there, sort of, sort of being physical against the Sheffield United players and, and sort of wrestling the match back for us. Uh, but did we really create that much, Adam, in that sort of next 20 minutes or so? Not really, no. And I think the reason that Mangala went off, um, just to touch on that, is because it's a skill set thing. If you're playing a 4-2-3-1, which it, we, we appeared to switch to, um, you've got Yates on there who is that, you know, the midfielder that's in the right space. He's, he sits in between the back four uh, and the midfield, so he transitions that really well. Danilo is kind of a bit more of a defensive midfielder. It, it, as a skill set, I actually prefer Danilo a bit further forward, but as a skill set, he can play as a defensive midfielder, whereas Mangala is more of a traditional kind of eight. 
likes to turn on the ball, likes to progress the ball forward. So I think it was more of a skill set thing, but Mangala was probably one of our best players on the night. So I don't think it was to do with him per se. I think it was just the fact that we were changing system. But yeah, it just didn't, for whatever reason, didn't seem to work. Um, but I think one of the big reasons that we struggled with it is because Sheffield United shut up shot from about the 70th minute. You know, as soon as we made those changes, they they completely shut up shop. They put man be- mo- nearly every man behind the ball. They were trying to, when we were trying to break lines, they were putting two players on our wingers. We really couldn't get much on them. Um, we really struggled to break them down. And when you have Gibbs White 10 with Johnson and Alanga either side, without any still up front at that point, you think, how are we not breaking them down? So that's just something we need to work on. That's, I think last season, we didn't have many situations where we were the ones 10, 15 minutes trying to break a team down that we're trying to hang on for a point. In the championship, you get a lot of that. And last night, it felt like a championship game second half because in the Premier League, how many times last season did we get a situation where we had a team that were hanging on for a point at the city ground and we were trying to break them down? It's not something that we're experienced within the last year. So I think that's why we struggled so much. But I think if you played that formation from the start, I think you'd probably see a bit more benefits. But it's just about getting players back. But I will say this with the Danilo thing. It highlights to me why we're going for a midfield destroyer type profile of player. Because I think a, a player like anyone that's linked, Sangare, Fafana, you know, Florentino, Luis, anyone like that next to Yates in that, in that two, if you play in a two, will be much more solid defensively. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. I think, it, as going back to my previous point about not being able to win without Yates, so it would give us another option. Um, and um, if if Yates is injured, if you got managed to sign somebody, um, uh, how long have we got? To, sorry, Baz. We've got five minutes left, so we might have to stop and restart. Okay, all right. Um, okay, we we'll start off again. So. Um, and it was, took a last roll of the dice from Steve Cooper, uh, making a substitution. Tyro coming off and Chris Wood coming on in the 90th minute to uh, win us a game, Baz. Yeah, um, to be honest, I was surprised that Tyro stayed on as long as he did because obviously for the Arsenal game, Steve Cooper made a point of like needing to protect him for following his injury. Um, so... Yes, to keep him on as long as he did. But then also I can see that, yeah, there would be howls of derision as soon as Tywo comes off and Chris Wood comes on. And there was the bloke behind me started screaming, it's dead Wood, Cooper's going to lose his job now. Um, But, I mean, Chris Wood did exactly what Chris Wood is good at, which is sticking his head into a dangerous area. Um, Another, yeah, as as Adam's mentioned, a, a really, really good cross from Serge Aurier. Chris Wood just sort of glances at it, making the leap against a defender, and um, it goes in. Uh, 90 minutes, I think it was. Yeah. And, so, um, yeah, and the, the bloke behind me was uh, suitably chastened. Yeah, well, I mean, we always thought Chris Wood was a great signing. He's going to be a brilliant, brilliant player for us. We, we've always said that all the way along. Um, uh, after that, did was it a nervy hanging on for us, Adam? We, we got our first city ground experience of the extended injury time. Um, was it nervy? Was Sheffield United threatening at all? Not really. I mean, they had the ball, but I don't, I don't think they did too, too much with it. Um, 
I think what Chris Wood can actually give us is a lot of people have been calling for a backup striker. Um, and that's something we need to dip into the transfer market for. Chris Wood could save us a lot of money here because I know we did have to sign him permanently for 15, 20 million, whatever it was. But if he can be that backup striker, I mean, he looked so much fitter last night. I don't know if anyone else noticed that. He looked sharper. He looked fitter. He, he sprayed a couple of crossfield passes as well. Like he looked like a completely different player. So if we can get a fit and firing Chris Wood, then absolutely happy days because Ty, Tywe will pick up an injury now and then. Obviously, we've got Afcon. So if Chris Wood can be the can be the guy to step up and step in when needed, then that's going to be absolutely invaluable to us. But yeah, I mean, at the end, I mean, Sheffield United huffed and puffed a little bit, but I don't think they deserved anything out of the game. I think they they, they created the chance and stuff, but I think in general, I think we probably were just about good value for the win. Just a quick word about Ryan Yates towards the end of the game as well. There was one point where he picked up a lost cause where it was going out for a throw-in and then immediately corner flagged it, had two men on him, was proper physical getting these two guys off and then somehow managed to get a shot in, which went, um, which got, I think it got headed over. Um, and I said, right, he should have man of the match just for that. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, so it finished Boris to Sheffield United when we bag our first three points of the season and uh, Boris Square fans went home happy in the rain. The 1865 Match Report. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hi, welcome back. We're going to have a quick view from the opposition now from the Red Half of Sheffield podcast. Hey guys, this is Chad from the Red Half of Sheffield with a post-match report. Blades fall 2-1 to Forrest. And, and to be honest with you, all credit goes out to Forrest. I thought they were the better side for uh, three quarters of the game. Uh, to close the end of the first half, United were probably the better side. Um, and then, obviously, they were the better side to come out of the second half and getting the equalizer. But when Forrest went ahead in three minutes, I thought, oh, boy, this could be a cricket score. Uh, but United were able to grow into the game. And, I mean, everything goes out to Chris Wood and Forrest. They were the better side able to get that late, late, late winner, 90th minute. But um, I still think it was a very competitive game. I think the difference between the two sides at the moment is depth because Forrest were able to make, I believe, three or four substitutions and bring on experienced Premier League players. United were able to make subs as well, but the subs were youth academy players. Antoine Hackford, Andre Brooks, um, you know, we, it really didn't bolster our side. It almost made our side, mm, if you would say, about the same, if if weaker. And, you know, after United went in front, then 
or leveled it up, Forrest went back on the front foot and kept pro, po, poking, poking and prodding and eventually following the winner. And there was, it was too late in the game and you know, I couldn't do anything. And it was kind of like once that goal went in from Chris Wood, heads dropped, shoulders dropped, and it was like, we're going to lose again. But all in all, it was a much improved United's uh, performance than the one they put out opening match day against Palace. Um, yeah, all the best of Forrest going forward, and we can only hope to be some semblance of Forrest to be able to stay up. If we do play like we did last night, we probably have a pretty good chance of staying up if we get that much-needed striker. But it's it's so tough, and, and United are going to have to do a, a, a lot here before the transfer window closes. We shall see where where the two teams are in the reverse fixture later in the season. But uh, uh, I will say one thing before I go. Up the blades. Brilliant. Thanks for that. And now we've got a quick news roundup from our Callum. Hi, this is Callum with the 1865 News. Strap in because a lot can happen during the transfer window in the space of a week, and it has. So I'll start with transfers in and I'll go in positional order. So in terms of goalkeepers, we've had Matt Turner officially arrive for around £7 million, obviously played against Arsenal. Um, Dino, Dean Henderson, he is... He was looking to be kind of set to join next um, to battle with that position with Matt Turner. But an injury to Tom Heaton has caused Man United to to keep him around. He was on the bench for them the other day um, and they've said that they need a replacement if they're going to let him go, which we've kind of we've we've been through that already with them getting Onana and replacements for De Gea. So not too sure how that's going to go. But Alan Tate did go to Old Trafford to discuss this. But the Athletic have since reported that Dean Henderson's not an active target for us at the moment. So we we'll have to keep an eye on that one. In terms of defence, there's an interest in Victor Nelson of Galatasaray, who is a centre-half. Um, there's also been reported interest in Taylor Harwood-Bellis from Man City, another centre-half who was on loan at Burnley last season. Um, and Benfica's Morato has also been discussed in that position. There was uh, interest in Trevor Chalibur at Chelsea, but apparently he rejected the opportunity and has been injured since as well, so it doesn't look like that will happen. Um, I'm sure you all know that Nuna Tavares, there was a proposal for him as well as a left back. So that's ongoing. Different prices are coming in and out of that one. Um, but obviously Fabrizio Romano tweeted that. So that is that is likely. Uh, the Athletic have reported that as well. Um, so it looks like we're keen on him. There has been reported interest in Juventus' Philip Kostic. And he's kind of, uh, he's very versatile, but he's played left back, left wing, left midfield and bits like that. So I presume that that's that position still being looked at there. And Ian Matson was also of interest from Chelsea. That was at the start of the window as well. He was, but I think he wants to kind of fight for his place at Chelsea. In terms of midfield, there was a €4 million Euro bid for Zenit midfielder Wilmer Barrios rejected uh, late last week, I think it was. Um, Sangare is still of interest to Forrest, has been for over a year. Um, 
apparently there was reported interest on Bayern, but that's been shut down, so it doesn't look like they are interested. Uh, Liverpool have come up as interested in him, um, but they're also they, they've they've got their eye on a few midfielders and have obviously just bought a new one in. And the only other team that have really been reported to be interested is PSG. I'm sure a lot of teams are interested, but that's what we've heard so far. Um, but we're still working on that one and haven't given up, according to the Athletic as well. Um, there's a strong interest in Benfica's Florentino Luiz as well, so it looks like he's kind of a backup in that position. Um, and then last night, it was reported by David Ornstein that we've made a verbal proposal to sign Yusuf Fafana from Monaco for €35 million Euros plus add-ons and trying to get an agreement in place of the player. Uh, other clubs are alert to that, and he is a very high-calibre a player in that position so those are three kind of big players as well so it seems like we're really focusing on that position to kind of get that big blockbuster signing um Bologna midfielder Nicolas Dominguez we've reportedly bid for him as well I don't know if he's as defensive as a midfielder but he he's another one he's an Argentina international um and from the top of my head, that's what we've got recently in terms of transfers in and rumours. In terms of transfers out, we've said goodbye to Steve Cook, who has gone to QPR. Wish him the best of luck. Um, Gustavo Scarpa has gone to Olympiacos on loan, so good luck to him as well. Um, and then it's reported that Emmanuel Dennis may have interest from Crystal Palace as well as other teams around, so that's something to keep an eye on. Um, and then obviously the big transfer out that we're keeping an eye on is Brennan Johnson. There's been interest from Tottenham. They've reported to kind of want to include players in that sort of deal. Um, Brentford have obviously bid a few times. West Ham are now interested. Atletico have been keeping an eye on the situation. And the most recent one has been Chelsea since the bid for Michael Elise fell through. Um, they're supposed to be front runners. They've also mentioned players being included, but apparently Maranakis just wants cash because it would be pure profit. So it looks like there's kind of an inevitability that he may leave and it might be Chelsea um, that pushed the most. So keep an eye on that one as well. Um, and then George Sirianos, the former head of recruitment, has returned uh, to help identify transfer targets, which may be why everything's kind of ramped up recently. He's on in on a consultancy basis after being sacked in October. Um, and then in terms of injuries, we had Niakate and Tyro Awani back in the squad against Arsenal. Obviously, Awani came on. Um, Niakate, Biancone and Toffolo played minutes for the B team as well after injuries. Um, Felipe, unfortunately, is no closer to return into the squad according to Cooper who have to keep an eye on that one as well um, other than that we've had Brandon Aguilera confirmed as staying up until January at least around the B team and around the squad to see how he can develop Steve Cooper's been impressed with him and then we've also been drawn to Burnley at home in the second round of the Carabao Cup uh, thank you very much and I'll be back again with the news soon Brilliant work as always, Callum. We're very lucky to have him on the team. Um, just to uh, round off the uh, pod today, we're just going to talk about a few little odds and ends around the uh, match last night. Well, we mentioned it was a, a great atmosphere at the start of the match. Did that did that continue during the game? Were, were Forest fans sticking with the team even though they weren't playing brilliantly well for a period last night, Baz? Um, I think the second half, the atmosphere started to turn and it's the first time since Steve Cooper came in that I've heard it like turn like that. Um, there was obviously the expectation that we should walk all over Sheffield United. And um, yeah, it, start, it wasn't toxic, but 
it wasn't the same sort of no matter what happens, we're going to get behind the team. And the fans sort of went a bit quieter. Um, all the noise was coming from the Sheffield United fans. And there was lots and lots of moaning, like um, one bloke behind me shouting, uh, Gibbs, White and Johnson for internationals. They need to get brought back down to earth and stuff like that. So that sort of moaning about a player and yelling at them while they're playing, I've not heard that for at least 18 months. Adam, um, what about at the end of the match? Was there relief? Did we have our traditional sort of end of match sing along at the end uh, uh, at ninety minutes? Yeah, it had a really weird feeling to it though because we we did have the you know the typical now Depeche mode and the Cooper fist bumps and all that, and it just felt a bit like there's a few people around me as well that said the same thing that it kind of felt a little bit forced in a way. Contrived. I mean, Steve Cooper really didn't want to do the fist bump. He came out in front of us, and then everyone was going like like waving their hands. And he really didn't. He sort of waved at us, and then we wouldn't shut up. And that's why he did the fist bumps. Um, he really didn't want to do it. I could see why though, because we Cooper's the sort of manager. I think you remember last season when we won a couple of games, but mm. the overall picture was still not as it needed to be. Like we were still in the bottom three, so we didn't do them. It kind of felt a bit like that last night because, yes, obviously we won the game. We've gone eight for the Premier League, which doesn't matter in the slightest. But um, the performance wasn't probably to the level that he would have wanted it. But then this is what surprised me. After the game, he did his press conference and he actually said that he thought that we played really, that we played well and we deserved to win the game. And I thought, I think we probably marginally might have deserved to win the game, but I think we definitely can play a lot better. But then is this maybe our expectation creeping in do, do are we expecting too much this season because we stayed up last season because we've the players started to gel at the end of the last season are we now expecting too much as a fan base well that's that's that was kind of one of my worries at the start of the season was yeah if we do go on a bad run and we're in the bottom three in november what kept cooper in his job last season was that maranakis basically couldn't sack him because of the fans whereas on the evidence of last night after 45 minutes of not great play, the fans started getting very, very edgy. So if we if we lose six in a row, I think that would that would that would be enough for Maranakis to feel, yeah, it's fine, it's okay, I can get rid of him. Yeah, I think well, hopefully that was last night's game was the one where we had maybe had the most expectation uh, going into the game. Probably Luton at home, and and some people might expect the Burnley games to be quite easy, but. Having watched them last week, they're, they're going to come here and dominate possession mm. uh, when we play it. So uh, it's going to require a lot of patience that night. It's going to be more of a sort of traditional uh, smash and grab win for us in the Premier League. Uh, I can't see us having more than that 25% possession against Burnley at home, which will test the fans and their patience. But we've got to remember we're playing with limited uh, players with limited ability on, on the ball. Um, Adam, you want to make a point? Yeah, I think that. We we have to consider a lot of things as well. That we, there's players in that starting eleven yesterday that Cooper probably doesn't intend to start game in game out. Um, when we've got Nia Carter and Felipe back, for example, but I think I think people are getting frustrated with the transfer market, but as well. But one point I want to make on that is we're just shopping in a different shop now. We're not looking at the journeyman Premier League players like we signed previously, like Shelby and. 
I suppose, to be honest, Kiarte and Oreo, but they've sort of worked out a bit better. We're looking at a step above that. We're looking at players like, obviously, Sangare, Fafana played in the World Cup final. When was the last... Probably a good trivia question. When was the last time we had a player that played in the World Cup final? Do you know what I mean? Like, it, I've got no idea what the answer is. That's not a... <laughs> I'll, I'll, let, I'll let people at home have a listen and get in touch with us on Twitter or something. But, yeah, I we're completely and utterly looking at higher but I think that fans kind of get the wrong perception that we're already there. And we it's, are... it's not just that we're competing against teams in the sort of top six, top eight for those kind yeah. of players. But then those teams are competing against Saudi teams now. So they're shopping in a slightly different market, which is going to affect us. And that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Yeah, It's a I tough think... window. Yeah, mm. and I think it's going to going to require a, a massive leap of faith from the incoming player as well to sort of commit to joining a team like Forest who, who only really just stayed up last season with if they're getting offers from mid-table or top eight Premier League teams it's going to require um, some a lot of things to go in our way for them to decide to join us at this point it's maybe players like that would maybe be expecting to sign uh, next summer after we establish ourselves for another couple of years we've got a bit more money in the bank and maybe finish mid-table it would make it easy to convince them to join us. Uh, did you want to say something there, Adam? No, no. I, I was just going to probably add the point with uh, the players that we've been linked with, though, is that those deals require so much more patience in general. I mean, like, you're looking at Sangari, for example. We, we're, we're willing to pay the release clause. Uh, the Athletic reported that. That's not an issue. The issue is is that you've got to convince Sangari to come from a team that will be playing in Europe next year to commit to what will be potentially at best a mid-table Premier League club just for the law of playing in the Premier League. That's the only thing you can really offer him. And he's also linked with Bayern Munich. He's also linked with Liverpool. Like, I think that he's probably looking at this thinking, why on earth would I go and sign for Forest when I might get Bayern Munich off a come in? Or even I could stay at PSV and challenge for the air division again next year. So you've got to realise that we're, we want these better players, but we've got to convince them on the project. And that's not always easy to do. The other thing as well is we've got so many players now. <laughs> we're, we're back in a situation where we've got a very bloated squad. And even if we know that some of those players are never going to play, for someone looking at us as a potential incoming, they're going to say, well, actually, you've already got six midfielders or whatever. So am I going to get a game? Yeah, um, and just um, in terms of good housekeeping, I'd like to see some of those players move out first mm. rather, before we bring players in because it it, would, it seems that FFP is a, is a major issue for us, so that would help on that front. Uh, just to finish off, we uh, heard yesterday that uh, Gustavo Scarpa um, left for Olympiacos, our old friends over in Greece there, Baz. Um, surprised or not? I was a little bit, but then we were saying in the group chat the other day, weren't we, that uh, I think it was you, that if Cooper doesn't fancy a player, then it's, it becomes quite apparent very quickly. And he makes a big point about talking about character. And right from the off, I can remember when he first joined and all the interviewers were asking about his Rubik's Cube and his skateboarding. And I can remember an interview with Steve Cooper and he sounded really unimpressed with the skateboarding. Like this is, this is an ankle injury waiting to happen was, was the undertone of it. And then following the, the 
whatever financial stuff he had to, to go through. I think that probably means in Cooper's head, he's not in the right place character-wise for the squad he wants. And so it, it became quite apparent towards the end of last season he wasn't really fitting in. Yeah. Adam, I think I looked it up this morning. I think he made three starts and three substitute appearances in the Premier League. Did, did he get a fair, fair crack of the whip? Um, I, don't, I don't think he'll think that he got a fair crack. I think the way that it looks, and I agree with Baz's point, but I think bringing it to a football side of things, last season when we signed Gibbs White, and Gibbs White was the was the number 10, he was, he was the main guy, he was going to play every game. So Scarper although he's got the ability to play as a number eight, last season we didn't have a number eight that kept the ball in a high possession team. So Scarpa, I would say, wouldn't have worked at the midfield. He would have had to play as the 10. Or I know Morgan obviously played left wing last year, but he really kind of played left wing and then dropped into the 10. I don't think Scarpa would have played that position over Morgan. So Scarpa was kind of just waiting for Gibbs White to get injured or waiting for him to pick up a knock so he could get his chance. And without sounding harsh to Scarpa, he's not an impact player off the bench and that's just not his game. You know, that's not his skill set. He comes off the bench, you want an impact player, like obviously like Anthony Lanka, like you want someone that's going to make an impact, you want someone that's going to run at tied defenders or someone that's going to get on the ball and create something and although we might have been able to do that, I just think that when he came on as a sub, he looked a bit lost. So maybe he didn't have a run of games but him having a run of games would have meant he would have played in front of Gibbs White. So... He was never going to get that. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. Um, maybe points back to our slightly muddled transfer policy from last year. But anyway, we wish him well in his time, for his time in Greece. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, please do uh, subscribe and leave us a review. And we'll be back next week with our match report on the difficult-looking away trip at Old Trafford against Manchester United. See you then. Can I start again? Sorry, I started off in the wrong foot. Hang on. Right. Do a little vocal exercise. La, 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 la. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hello, 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 hello. Sports Social Podcast Network.